my thing just started recording. Oh, well, welcome. That was a weird delay. Okay, um, the interesting part is that you can, do you only talk to people when you're near them? Was it Gather Town? Yeah, 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 Gather Town. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I've been, I've been trying it. Oh, it's you pretty fun. So the default office environment there reminds me of Appleton Tower so much. Like, Holy crap, yeah. Somebody else set it up, so I just uh, launched into it. And I was like, how the fuck did they know what Appleton Tower looks like? Like, did they go to Edinburgh? No. I was very, very confused. It's like, just it just happens to be the average computer science Yeah, setup, exactly, exactly. Or, or built by students from Appleton Tower. Um, yep. But I thought Maybe. It, I, thought, I don't know. I thought it was quite cool, like, um, because, like, you could have, like, presentation station where you can go and broadcast your video to everyone but no one can talk to you um yeah. there's or, private spaces as well where you only speak to a single person yeah but then it's but then cool. it was what was the weird feeling that i had it kind of this is why i was bringing it kind of talking about it is because you know how like in real life when you go to a party and you feel that um especially a party where you don't know anyone so you're like as plus one in the party and you get that disconnect because well, not the disconnect of that social awkwardness you're like how do i approach a random group of people um, and you're kind of standing in the corner of the room. I, I went, we went all 40 of us into this room. There's tables with board games at each table, right? And then everyone collects around the board game. And I wanted to play Tetris, this like collective mm -hmm. Tetris. I sat down, no one sat at my table. And for the first time, <laughs> for the first time in my life, I felt like socially awkward slash isolated virtually. This wasn't even yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So you've never been you've never been socially isolated in a virtual environment yeah. before. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean it didn't matter because no one saw me. No one like no one cared. I mean, I suppose my name was above my avatar, but like it's just hilarious that that sort of I feel that. So I think it's much easier to actually um do something like that online cuz you don't really regard the Leo avatar of the person in front of you as a person, right? Like it's much easier to sort of abstract away and forget about there being a real person behind that thing, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, like this has been years of like playing games with people who you don't really communicate with, like in video games, especially people very rarely use the text chat. Like some games have voice chats and that sort of humanizes somebody. Uh, on the other side, but uh, it's very easy to sort of think of as an online person as like a non-playable character, right? Just like a mm -hmm. computer system or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that sucks. That sucks. Um, did you manage to play a game in the end? Yeah, I mean, in the end, it, I don't know. They had some way in which you could. Um... Uh, you go to one of the tables and then instead it was a link and then you played scribble io you know the um ah the kind of classic yeah. one but in in the end then i played tetris by myself for a bit so in the end i did join a random group of people but um everyone was speaking french in the game so i had no idea oh, what was going on i mean interesting yeah that's uh that's a, that's another kind of social um so you just walk up to a group of people and <laughs> you saw them all speaking french did they like turn to you to start talking to you or like did they just continue no they so they continue um i, I like yeah they there's one person like the um sort of the pm i don't know what that stands for in our group i think program manager 
potentially or like but she is good at sort of mediating French English between non-English speakers mm-hmm. non-French mm-hmm. speakers but most people speak French and so you go into this Scribble.io game everyone's doing a lot of French banter a lot of French jokes and laughing and like you know bonjour oui oui and that kind of stuff and then it goes to your turn to draw the picture and everything just goes completely like silent because they don't know who they, they don't know who this guy is he's not speak, speaking French and so then and then you do Did your, you have your video on? Yeah, I have my video on. Too. Yeah, okay. That's good at least. So was, if you don't have your video on then Yeah, then it's like <laughs> so, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> who's this? Who's this random uh that's random non-speaking guy but yeah, I don't know. It's I guess just it's the intimidation of joining a group of people that already know each other uh, pretty well, but yeah, it's, it's made like, especially more difficult when it's in a virtual environment. Because uh, oh yeah, the thing that I want to say was like non-verbal communication is completely missing, right? When you join a group of people, usually, if you know the people are socially aware, they would like sort of turn to you, sort of open up mm-hmm. their body language so that you, that you feel welcome. In like gather town, you can just face one of four directions, right? So there probably facing each other and then like just imagine a situation in which in real life you have just two people facing each other and then you're standing not even in the middle between them you're just standing next to one and like staring at the side of their head it's just like it it does not work like that i i actually sort of felt the discomfort of that when i was first doing it i like stood next to someone and it was just me and them and so, you know, our two videos pop up next to each other. <laughs> but we're sort of like, you know, back to back or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just, like, you're, you're totally right. This is not how you would approach a social, a social situation in real life. And, uh, and then it's like, you've kind of accidentally got into this social situation. It's like, it's not like you're walking around a room in real life. And two of you, the minute the two mm-hmm. of you sort of walk by each other, you in, you kind of engage in a lock video-to-video um, interaction. Yeah. Um, I saw that they tried to sort of mediate that a bit by kind of fading in and out the video, but mm-hmm. um, like as you get closer. But I mean, if you've got a large room and it's just like you and someone else in the corner and you didn't mean to be there, yeah, it's like you want to each of you quickly yeah. goes uh, goes the other way. Uh huh. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's, God, I know, I don't, I don't think it, I like the idea, like, I do think it's a bit better than just a, a 40 people on a Zoom call, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's a, yeah, I, I, there's probably some stuff, some yeah. work that needs to be done. I've, I think uh, it's best used for sort of, like, um, intermittent communication, you're supposed to be in there for, like, hours or, uh, on end, and it makes you approachable so that somebody can come up to you and sort of tell you like hey how's it going you know uh, i want to talk to you about this and that if it's just like a focused like 40 minute session or two hour session i think probably like a zoom call works better because you can see everybody at all times um and the other thing is you know like it's a nice sort of first attempt at it but like until we get vr i think it's going to be severely limited in its capacity so you're saying that like an interest, uh, like a, a, a setup that makes Gather Town practical is like I always have Gather Town open. 
sort of, uh, yeah. during the workday, and, and I'm standing somewhere, mm-hmm. and someone walks up to me. Can come to you. Yeah, we, we've oh, experimented with that a bit with some of my uh, base at UCL. Yeah. And it sort of does a possible job, you know, like the first time you hear somebody come up to you and say, like, hey, what's up? You're just like, oh, what the fuck's happening? Like, do you have a video playing or something like that? And then you sort of realize what's happening. But then that means that, you know, you can just chat with them and sort of replicate the um, clandestine meeting sort of situation that you will get uh-huh. in like a real physical space. Huh. Okay. It did feel very awkward in like private spaces where you can only talk to a single person when somebody sat on their computer, you just literally walk up to them, you know, again, like facing 90 degrees to where like they're facing. Uh, you're not, you can't even go like, oh, what are you doing your computer or something like that. It's just like staring at their soul and be like, hey, do you want to join us in the conference room or something like that? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, it's, yeah. I, but 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 that but that died that died out. You no longer doing that UCL uh, friend thing anymore. Oh no no no! Uh, I'm doing it occasionally. Like I, I've started doing it a lot more now that lockdowns uh, been restricted. Because I used to go into uh, uni to sort of study, uh, and then when you're in uni, you know, when there are other people around you, it sort of starts getting difficult to talk online. Like you don't want to disrupt the people around you. But now that I'm, you know, at home, yeah, I feel much sort of more comfortable just starting to talk about shit mm. to random people. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I, I do think it comes, it does seem to come down to, yeah, it does seem to come down to the fact that you're kind of forced in, like, you know, how we're chatting right now, like you're forced face-to-face engagement when you're in a social mm-hmm. situation and you decide, I no longer want I don't know. That's why I'm trying to think if VR is actually the way that can actually sort this. I don't know, like you look somewhere else or something. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like VR might not even sort that in itself because like, you kind of just want to be able to not be locked in the engagement with someone. Well, so I think, okay, I see, I see what you mean. So you're saying that like disengaging is quite difficult in the virtual environment is that what you're saying it's like when you're staring face to face with somebody it's quite difficult to sort of say okay i gotta go and do something else yeah i mean uh, yeah essentially so like yeah you need like an element of of move you build yeah i mean i guess you could move around right in vr you can do that so yeah you're moving around the 3d mm-hmm. world like you would normally set that's fine i suppose yeah just movement in VR is always kind of a bit weird. I don't know. Um, True. But yeah, maybe that maybe that is okay. I don't know. Like, cause you're chatting, you're chatting to someone, and then just say you start just like looking over that way. Like. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, it will feel more natural than you know just taking off, like you're doing gather town, right? It's like. Okay, I'm done. I'm done with this conversation. Just like flip 100 degrees and book it in the opposite direction. <laughs> I just, I just love, like it makes me laugh because of how much it gets every person um, in the say it's a company in the kind of like hierarchy in the company. It gets all of them and puts them on the same level as these just kind of simple, uh, like weird cartoony character avatars that are just moving around in such an uh, rigid manner. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah, like, just, just a lot to a person is the way they sort of 
handle themselves and that's completely lost you right? it's like there's a lot of uh, you know power sort of dynamics yeah. in, in that that are, are completely, it's just completely uh, non-existent there yeah like it's just great um, in your boss did you did you customize your character or did you go for the default one i didn't even know if there was oh, all i had was an option to just shuffle but just shuffle 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 ah, until mm -hmm. there was a character that i thought was um uh representative of how i felt in that moment so what did you go for it was like this little boy with a full bright neon jumpsuit um nice that was and there were three on his head i don't know so that was a three he said yes yeah, it's it a three on his head um that's pretty cool <laughs> i think maybe it's like, like halloween theme or something yeah yeah, yeah. there's like ghosts and goose and um vampires and things like that i went for like a boy with black hair like white shirt uh blue pants and glasses like you know the stereotypical um computer scientist look for some reason oh, it felt very appealing to me was that was that via random shuffle or via uh, selection so uh, i don't know i don't think it shuffled all the features i think like i selected the character first with the glasses and then i had the option of changing like i think the skin color and the clothes and like the hair color things like that oh i see okay yeah i didn't have any of those options um, in in general like when you're playing games do you try to replicate yourself do you try to sort of express yourself in the character um how do you approach it yeah that's actually yeah that's a good, a good one actually because like um when i to be honest, I never played a lot of games where I customized the character, but kind of one type of customization was always the class that you played, uh, mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. like, And I felt like that was the customization, the level of customization I always end up getting to with the games I played, because my brother would play games more where he customized, but I would go for, like... I mean, actually, actually, okay, there were a couple games ready to customize, and when I customize, I always tried to break the system, actually. Yeah. 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 So I just nice. tried to see, how can you make his eyebrows flow off to the edge? Yeah. Uh, can you, um, yeah, exactly, that can make the mouth, like, fall off the bottom of the face or something. That was what I did. Um, uh, so, yeah, just completely, yeah, exactly. I didn't even try to make myself realistic, Yeah. Just just trying to push the system to the limits. That's what I do quite often. So I think it's sort of the programmer mindset of like looking for edge cases and uh, uh -huh. basically trying to i don't know what, what it's motivated do you think it's motivated by like let me try to fuck your shit up because you know uh i'm bitter that you've made something that i haven't made or do you think it's like um you know i i i really want to express myself through sort of uh, you know like yeah being as wild as possible what do you think the 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 impetus yeah it's like oh wow you know in real life i can't have four eyebrows now i can like look at this or something you know uh, um yeah. no, i i don't think it's that though i think it's i think it's uh, i think it's i don't think it's like a power play of i'm gonna try and fuck your shit up mm. potentially it's more like Maybe, uh, maybe, I don't know, actually, maybe, it, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it is a power play. Maybe it's like, um, um, 
because it really would suck if you play a game where it's really well done and looks like real it looks exactly like you scans your face and it's you mm-hmm. you're like oh crap well i've just essentially lost my identity to this game um ah i see what you mean so it's it's the worry that if you're being replicated you're somehow less unique yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, i haven't looked at it in that it. way yeah that's interesting like if you could perfectly produce yourself then you're like well I, yeah then i um who am i in, in, mm. in that kind of in that kind of thing i don't know what do you do um i yeah I, I very similarly to you i go for the just make it as wild as possible sort of um even when you have sliders the sliders have to be you know all the way to the max or like to the main there's no middle ground there um i have been influenced quite a lot by a youtube series called monster factory in which the only thing they do there is like try to make characters as fucked up as possible they literally like pick up game after game and they're like how can we mess with the character creator there as much as possible right so i find it incredibly funny like the things that they do and i've definitely been influenced in that um but the other part of it i think is like the farce of it is like i usually name myself like very silly words as well like chumba chumblis bunga and stuff like that um because you know games are games are supposed to be fun and i find ridiculous looking and sound like looking characters and sounding words to be very entertaining the word chumblis is, such... <laughs> is good yeah. why is like it, it such a funny word I don't know. Maybe it's the association. Something I really appreciate about uh, when comedians can do it is like using phonetics, just like the the word, the the way words sound, to make things funny. Just by by language itself, not the not the content of the language, but just the the sounds that language makes to make something funny. I think it's like a incredibly fascinating uh, aspect of language right like why is chumblis funnier than like uh, knife like knife sounds boring right mm-hmm. i think fork fork sort of yeah there is some kind sounds of like, that kind of reminds me of like a really good like story that i feel like represents you might have heard it but it's like this guy walks into a bar and there's a bunch of um you know it's like a party of people hanging around a table and one of them goes like 43 and roars of laughter around the table like uh, and then like the next one was like 12 incredibly (laughs) um and then the guy walks up to the table and he sits down and then you know they keep doing this they keep saying numbers and they're laughing he goes like 72 dead silence right and he tries again, like eleven, dead silence. Um, and they just, and then they kind of say to him, you know, it's not what you, it's not what you say, it's how you say, it. right? And I, I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it, like really captures the, the, the like exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Of it. Yeah, the delivery of it. I hadn't heard of that one. That really reminded me of um, we uh, used to have a classmate that really like to tell jokes right like he would read the newspapers to sort of learn new jokes and come in and tell them 
which meant that he repeated a lot of the jokes that he said because he, he had forgotten which joke he had said to whom, right? Um, which at some point sort of uh, grew into the gag of like, we're going to number these jokes and you can just say the number. You don't even need to say the joke, right? Like you've said it so many times that you just need to remind us of the number. Um, which really works for the for the setup of like 12 and everybody's <laughs> roaring laughs actually that uh, like, like the the guy comes in it's like 75 and everybody's like, no that that's not a good one that's not fun <laughs> it's like no like 75 is uh that's that's about uh, it's actually quite racist yeah yeah, yeah exactly we don't use that anymore john's mom died yeah yeah <laughs> 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 he was talking about 75. well we so did it did it actually work when your friend would come up and like be like and you... So we didn't actually have the number, right? Like if, oh, if I you say see. twelve, I didn't know what it was exactly, <laughs> but you would still laugh nonetheless, just because it fits so well, right? Like he, at some point, he had told the same joke like <laughs> ten times, like in ten different settings to me. How so many people well is he telling number. jokes such that he doesn't remember that he's told you the joke ten times? Or... Well. It's like a different set of people, right? Like, um, we didn't really have clicks in high school, which was quite cool. I think, I think, I don't know how often it is the case, but like people communicated a lot with each other. And like in the Eastern European system, you have like a class of 30 people that you take all your subjects with, right? Uh, and for example, in middle school, it was very much the, ca the case that there were different clicks of people that didn't really communicate across to each other. Right. In high school, it was like, you know, to them, I'm talking to like this, this group of five people. Tomorrow, I'm talking to this group of five people. And just so like, whenever he was in a sort of a new group of, of, of uh, people, he would tell jokes to sort of like, you know, lighten the mood, fit in, whatever it is, right? Like, I, don't, I don't know his uh, motivations. But because, you know, you're sampling different people each day, there's a lot of like overlap between groups. So um, I, why so, were you, why, uh, was there a reason why you were sampling different people each day? Why were these clicks not forming? Well, it, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Like I understand the natural formation of clicks because of interests, right? Like people have shared interests, so they, you know, start communicating with each other a lot. Um, I, I don't know. I think it was maybe. You were all just a uniform. Or the reverse, like either uniform or the reverse enough such that, you know, each individual had several different interests that no other individual shared oh, yeah, completely. True. So I'm talking to him about like bikes and to him about like chess and, you know, nobody else like does both biking and chess, for example. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. So like if you've got an, ex yeah, if you've got like an extremely varied uh, group where, you know, if you, each person has like at least a couple interests they're going to have uh, multiple groups that they want uh, want to be in. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. What was the sort of group dynamics like in an American high school? Because you guys, you had different subjects with different people, right? Yeah. yeah ours was, yeah. Our, so you didn't have different subjects with different people. Yours was everyone. Yeah, you have the same people for everything, more or less. Wow. But that means, was it... Wow, so it's like you had one, one class going. That means either the class were either the class is big or the school was small. 
Well, the school was, well, it wasn't really that small, right? A class was 30 people, and then you had six classes per year. Oh. So that's like 200, uh, sorry, 180 uh, people per year, and then like, you know, six, seven, eight years in the school. So maybe like a thousand something people. Okay, yeah, that's, that's pretty big. So then you and your 30 would travel between classes. Yeah, you were a traveling uh, troop like a like a nomadic tribe um okay so yeah mine was yeah mine was not like yeah mine was not like that mine was like your classic setup or i don't know classic us setup of just mm -hmm. yeah you have um different classes with uh different different people um i don't know like my yeah my school just looks straight out of like high school musical like get yeah, high school musical like with the lockers did you have there. the cafeteria thing what like did you have a cafeteria like yeah. in community in like with, with the little tables that fit like 10 people and stuff uh -huh. that's that's and interesting like yeah a little trolley with salad or something in the glass on it um that kind of thing oh yeah yeah yeah. right yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. like like yeah and uh what, were and those were those companies that served the food there or was it like the school cafeteria like was it like i'm gonna go to subway or like to I don't know, like, I doubt you had McDonald's in there, but like... Well, no, so we had, yeah, so the school would provide its own food, um, which you could buy, but usually the thing to do was to cycle around the nearby, um, like, lunch outside the school, like you could leave the campus uh, if you mm -hmm. wanted to. And I remember a Taco Bell KFC combined fast food restaurant just outside essentially the front door of the um wow. school i go there every day and i get like oh, what was it like three dollar chicken pot pie meal oh my god that was chicken pot pie. yeah i had a chicken pot pie like every day which it's, <laughs> it's really funny when i think about it um but yeah that was the, I used to, yeah that was the setup i don't know it's like when, when you have your you know young body that can process anything you can just do whatever i used to survive off of donor kebabs which is like very well low quality meat arguably probably illegal like depending on which one you go for and uh, like just sugary drinks and that was that's what, what i had every day throughout the school week so like five days out of seven i had that for lunch wow i've always wondered what was on those donor stacks right because it's just stacks yeah yeah they so show you off, it's right? it's usually meant to be chicken or uh beef but you know especially like in bulgaria i feel i think the food standards are lower so i really would not be surprised if i've had like very exotic meats while being unaware of it mm. but I, I, I yeah i know i feel like i don't know i want to feel like it's cliche that you're having a donor kebab in Bulgaria. Is that is that true? It's very often the case, yeah. Okay. They're quite cheap and quite filling. I mean I can I can appreciate a good donor uh, kebab, yeah. I Yeah, yeah, but like if I had one now, I would probably need like a week to recover. <laughs> I'm just imagining it's like you're you're like at your job or something, and you're like, okay, I am booking my holiday. I'm <laughs> okay. taking a week like, off. I'm asking my manager, like, 
I'm gonna need at least a week because a new uh, donor kebab joint opened and I need it. <laughs> like, yeah, come on, what are you gonna do on your holiday? You're taking off, like, you haven't taken a holiday in a while. Like, oh, I have big plans. <laughs> I have very big plans. I've been saving up my holiday, I haven't taken one in three years. There's <laughs> a new donor kebab joint, I've been waiting for it. <laughs> they announced it like 2014, <laughs> but they've been delaying it. Just they've been working on their secret spices for so long. <laughs> Building up my holiday days. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I don't know. Like, oh gosh, like a company. We talked about this a bit before, but I don't know. Company culture is so so different. Like, wow, it's just like how you have to like schedule days off. You've got to like be working nine to five. The times you work. But then at the same time, you wonder, mm -hmm. like, what, what is what is the alternative? And it's like, there's the academic um, lifestyle, but is there yeah. also a lifestyle where maybe, like, you're just working a little bit and you're just, get, you're just getting by and do some other stuff on the side? Yeah, there's, like, the freelancer thing, which has never really appealed to me personally. I don't know exactly why. Like, I think as I'm quite a lazy person it should really appeal to me to sort of say i'm gonna work you know 15 hours a week or something like that and then do whatever i want in the in the meantime yeah so there are like people are experimenting experimenting with a lot of different uh setups i think for at least for me personally having some form of external feedback is quite nice whereas you know with a freelancer sort of um or art direction of things you have to be incredibly self-driven right like artists need to spend often like more than a decade just doing their thing persistently before they're recognized mm -hmm. um and i well to touch on like art a little bit i don't know i feel as if they it, art i don't know i don't know art to me feels could like it could be slightly different maybe because i feel as if Potentially, in the case of art, there is no for good for for good artists. There is no motivation to be recognized. Uh, it like is, and I feel like there's motivation for the work it's, itself and the enjoyment of the work, and mm -hmm. that the recognition comes as an afterthought. And usually, once they get recognition, it can actually cause their psychologically affect their their ability to produce the work that they used to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't know so That's... i think art is much more sort of related to recognition than you know for example science as uh, artists want to communicate their ideas to the world right like with science you're you form a hypothesis you test it and then you present those results to the world and um, I mean, there, there is art in science as well. Like, if you're inventing something new, then you can argue the same thing of like, you know, I'm trying to present my ideas to the world, so I want the recognition of it. But especially in art, I feel like artists are very often motivated by wanting to influence the world somehow, like often emotionally. And the only way they can do that is by getting a lot of eyes on things. Right, it's like art can be appreciated by a much wider audience than science can. So I feel like an artist is 
often motivated more by, by impacting more people than just, I guess, like profoundly impacting a very small subset of people. Mm. I may be wrong though. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can, hmm. I mean, I can agree that an artist will have motivation in some form. Otherwise, I don't, I don't, you know, there's got to be something motivated whether that's social or political impact or, or purely just the desire to r represent the natural world um, and try and create it. But um, <laughs> your approach to how long it's taking you to try and put a jacket without making any noise. Um, is a difficult task. Yeah, I, yeah, fair enough. It's commendable what you've done. Um, I've done it. Is um, what was I? What was I saying? Um, but I just wonder if their motivation is necessarily recognition, because I feel like recognition is slightly different from impact. Like an artist can have impact and. A result of that is they are recognized. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and I feel like that the one, the motivation of the first one would come before the other. Um, and then you also talk about science being less driven by recognition. And at a kind of def dictionary definition level of science, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you on that. But I, you know practical science that we're seeing in mm -hmm. in reality in society that's certainly not the case otherwise we might not have our we would not put our names first on the paper we put them last or something right we put them at the end of yep. the paper or something right mm -hmm. because that's not the most important part of it i don't know that's actually not a bad idea i know some people put little biographies at the end but mm -hmm. i haven't seen anybody just put the author list at the end of the paper I think it would be quite, I don't know, like you could imagine title, continue, author list at the very end, and that's just an afterthought. Mm, yeah. Uh, so it's not the first thing you're looking for. I mean, the annoying thing is, is the author, authors provide some ability to, you know, um, map out a body of work, etc. Mm -hmm. But it does, if it gets wrapped up in the um, the other side of, you know, research in academia, it's, um, it can kind of be um, an, an, uh, a more negative thing, I don't know. Negative is not the right word. I'm, but... I'm also quite intrigued by the idea of like using a pseudonym to write scientific papers. Oh. Um, I think with scientific papers you have to be held accountable for what you do, um, so it's not as easy as sort of writing literature under a pseudonym, right? Um, but, but yeah, yeah like science in its purest form should be devoid of context uh, like a, a scientific finding should only be evaluated based on its own merits rather than the merits of the person conducting the experiment right mm -hmm. so by using a pseudonym you sort of remove that component of it but that's really yeah so what you said earlier about like pure science versus practical science it's like the separation between science and academia like academia really really wants to focus on the individual and their own career right mm. uh, 
which is really in conflict with this idea of like you know science should be just based on its own merits rather than than the person's career so i think that's a that's a very interesting problem um if i get ever into a position where you know i can reliably publish I, I think I would experiment with like maybe publishing under a pseudonym or like playing around with the structure of the paper, like moving the names around, uh, things like that. The issue is a lot of these conferences have a predefined format where like, you know, dot release is, is at the start and there's nothing you can do there. Uh, when you say reliably published, you mean as in a sense like you got yourself founded and you can just publish as you go? Or? Yeah, like I, I, I've, I've settled on a field that I want to work in and you know i am in a comfortable position where i don't need to worry about what i'm gonna do in like three months time but like i can focus on on research right so, yeah because that because but then yeah and and that that would be really i totally agree with you that'd be an interesting experiment but then i feel like the fact that you have to qualify it by saying that emphasizes the the issue that we we have right, right? that's very Is that's you, very well yeah, mm -hmm. you can't go about doing that because of the fact that your entire um, career, profession, merit, whatever is yeah, on the line. Security of it. Yeah, yeah that's security. an incredibly good argument, actually. Right. Which, yeah. So academia is the platform with which we express science in the society, but or try and um, or one of the platforms, like the 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 the, 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 the most popular one, but. Yeah, I know. It'd be interesting to look into how. I don't know too much. I don't do. Do you know very much about the history of the development of academia and how it changed? How it's changed over time? Mm, not particularly. No. No, me neither. But it'd be interesting to find, dive more into that and find out. Um, like for example, when the PhD so, programs, etc., came out. Yeah, and on that note, I think it's very like usually in politics and historical events, you would look at the history of things to understand a, a, a current situation better, right? Like, they often say that if you don't understand the history of something, you're gonna, you know, repeat the mistakes that happened there. Um, so I've never seen that applied to the problems in academia, right? We have the reproducibility crisis, the uh, sort of rat race to publish, no matter whether your findings are actually noteworthy or not, like, number fudging be value hacking of that to sort of you know just try to get the, the paper published mm -hmm. and we don't really understand the historical context of where this is coming from or at least i don't so you're very right that you know understanding how things have developed could help us fix the issues that we're facing at the moment mm -hmm. like where where this well, I mean, it seems to me be, be slightly, yeah, yeah, I, no, I, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, it does sound like potentially there's a, maybe the internet and academia had, there seemed to be a point there, but I don't know, but it also feels like maybe this was happening before. Um, it's just maybe first uh, exacerbated it, um, a bit more. Yeah, like where did the drive mm. for citation count, et cetera, when did citation count become a thing? Because well, people have always cited each other, but when did it become? I mean, it's become embedded in things like tenure, you know, and then tenures become a motivation for people to get to so that they, you know, have mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever they want to do during tenure, kind of a bit more freedom and just um, security. And so maybe 
it coupled with that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Um, it's quite an interesting one. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, part of it is, is fairly obvious. It's that sort of drive that uh, you sort of um, called me out on of like wanting to be in a secure place so you can, you know, go wild, sort of be a rock star scientist, do whatever you want, you know, uh, that shit. But I think, I think there's something deeper to it as well. Um, changing topics, I was thinking today that I think most people in society would uh, have a use of like an appreciation day for them. Like, I'm basically thinking like I have a lot of cool people that I know that I really don't get um, the opportunity to sort of like be like, I mean, you're doing an amazing job, you know, sort of, I'm really depressed by what you've done. It's not really um, a standard thing to say to some of your friends. It, it can be quite awkward to do. So I was just thinking, you know, like, what, what if you had like an appreciation day for somebody or like, you know, you just gather a bunch of people and you're like, I really like, you know, the way you um, help the people we need around you like i really appreciate that you know you're an honest person and like hard working and shit like that i think that we quite quite cool. i think a lot of us often feel quite down like society is quite competitive at the moment so you often just focus on your negatives on the work on the things that you need to work on rather than the things that you've achieved yeah no i think actually i am that sounds like an amazing idea like I think that this is this yeah this is great um, because I I feel like especially in it's not especially in upper education and sciences but also in people in the work in in just their work life and as they get further along in their profession and stuff a lot of people have a negative loop going on in their head uh, thinking mm -hmm. I'm not good enough like. Oh wow! I I I spent two hours today sitting around, and when I could have spent two hours today learning my um, my medical um, mm -hmm. online course or whatever, doing my medical medical online course. Oh wow! And and then you just eat yourself up with this kind of negative loop, and it can take some effort to get yourself out of that negative loop. But I feel like someone else coming up to you. And saying, you know what, like the work you're do, you're like you're doing some great work, um, and it's not about the fact that you're doing better work than anyone else. It's the fact that you're mm -hmm. just, you're just doing this work um, is uh, commendable. Yeah, that's what you mean, right? Something like that. Yeah, it's it's at least for myself. I often feel like if I'm not the best at something, it's not worth doing it at all. And I think you would be really useful to people to sort of be like you know you're doing a very good job job probably like you know you're putting in the effort you're you're thinking about these problems uh, and just the fact that somebody else is doing it better than you and this is often devoid of context of like maybe they have like 30 years more uh, experience in the area than you you know like I don't know or like yeah that's the same but like you know spend a lot of time as a kid doing it does not mean that your efforts are not uh, sorry does not mean that your efforts are worthless mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just yeah. I would know. I was just gonna, and I was gonna just add to that that I think also there's actually a second side to it where you're doing this to to kind of um, focusing on the person you're applying this to. You know, but there's actually I think mm-hmm. there's also something really important with you making you being. I don't want to say forced, but making yourself say to someone you're doing a good job like i appreciate your work because that's that's really hard to do like it's really hard to essentially make yourself maybe vulnerable is the word i don't know but not quite it's just to say to someone a nicety which means mm-hmm. that you appreciate the work you're doing we don't say nice things to each other very often most people don't not at all and yeah. the, to mm-hmm. do that feels really uncomfortable and i think if you notice that it's uncomfortable, it says something a lot about the psychological state that you're in. And it's not that like you're in a unique psychological state. It's in the fact that a lot of people are in this psychological state. And yeah. that when you feel uncomfortable, when you feel awkward or something, it's like that's like a moment to actually reflect on the psychology of yourself and be like, oh, wow, why am I uncomfortable with giving someone else a compliment? Um, mm-hmm. And I think then maybe the more you think about it, the more you do it, you might learn a lot about yourself and even just make yourself feel a bit better. I don't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. it, 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 both by giving, you also kind of receive it in some way. Um, I, that's, I think that's incredibly true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's an insanely good idea. Um, so I, I think it's often said that, like, men are especially guilty of that like you know that men don't really uh, throw each other compliments and stuff like that but in my personal experience it's been the case that like you know between men and women as well that's not the case i don't know you know between women and women how often that is the case but like i feel it's more like a humanity-wide thing rather than just being a specific gender that uh, suffers from that issue so i think i think it's it's uh yeah well, you're saying that um, you're saying that you think in your case it's like between men and women, them giving each other compliments. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's also quite difficult. Um, mm. Maybe because there's like you know additional connotation there of like yeah. you know if if I'm like person A is giving a compliment to person B, does that mean that person A is interested mm-hmm. in person B? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of, uh, yeah. I yeah, exactly. That's kind of potentially one thing there but I I do like one thing that's been I don't know I'm kind of segueing a little bit here but one thing so I kind of told you a bit last time about how I was doing that teaching thing and with Mm -hmm. the teaching thing I'm working a lot with like pretty much everyone I'm working with is a woman like the Mm -hmm. whole I'm teaching women and the people I teach with are women you can also teach with guys as well but it's become more women that are teaching. So two to it's me with two other women. And a lot of the time when I've been working with, so I've, I actually didn't realize this until I started this, that a lot of the time I don't work with women, right? And it's yeah. because of the profession, mm-hmm. right? Computer science usually got more men. And I also didn't appreciate how different it is actually, there's a, there's a difference with working with either one. Um, and that I felt that working with women, all women, has actually been th- this could this could be a personal thing too, um, but mm-hmm. it's been a lot less stressful, a lot less competitive, 
and there's a lot less and there's a lot more support in the sense that you know I go if I say something incorrectly or I'm talking about something it feels very just like um, open to open to kind of just discussing the topic at hand and very little competition mm-hmm. whereas when I'm working with say people mostly men when I was doing like school stuff and internship stuff and even now if everyone might go to a guy I feel a lot more competition in terms of like trying to outwit the other say something smart or yeah. something mm-hmm. um, and that to me just makes me feel like that in itself just make it kind of it's talking about what we're talking about but just makes you feel like it would be really useful to have a better mix like it would be yep. it, we really we don't. really need to have that because I feel as if there is something about having a lot of men work together can be uh, they, I don't toxic know yeah way. toxic like I guess the word yeah. Can become toxic yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like holy holy crap like it really it, there is a difference um, and yeah I so I think I think it, it's compounded with the type of work that you do uh, for example, like my manager was uh, female at my last job and she was like incredibly supportive and kind, uh-huh. but there was still, you know, like competitiveness, like needing to meet deadlines and things like that. Totally. On the flip side, uh, right now with like a society, because there's no like big money involved and things like that, uh, we can make quite large mistakes and, you know, still be sort of chill about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a much less... Um, high pressure situation but i definitely agree with you that you know like the wider mix of in general backgrounds and like in this particular case uh uh genders like really helps to sort of like get a more holistic sort of um holistic is probably not the right word a more diverse um set of opinions and sort of like uh, approaches to work right because men very often approach the work with as you said the competitive sort of i'm going to outwit and beat everybody else mm-hmm. um yeah exactly and i, I guess i just really yeah and i guess it's just really important to emphasize that it, do, it doesn't mean that that women are less competitive and they're not etc right like it totally is not the case but yeah it just mm-hmm. really is like it i think it's yeah it it totally is a difference if you have a mix of different types of people when then also this is like one thing I've been noticing a lot and also you bump into a lot is if you've got one type of person in a group or in a a company the goals of that one type of group are going to be based on what that one type of group is right like Mm -hmm. so you've got all men for example the problems they're going to solve and what they're going to solve is going to be based on what all those types of those men think are the problems means that the the solutions they provide whether it's in society or whatever are going to be solutions that are best situated towards them they'll try Mm -hmm. maybe to incorporate more people but you fundamentally cannot do that unless you're a woman or a minority like you 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 just can't um and so Mm -hmm. then bringing those in helps them solve problems for those people and actually yeah, I don't know, but it just solves, it's kind of a feedback loop in a way that it's getting into within the, um, within um, uh, uh, groups that don't have diversity, I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is, this is really shifting away from what we're talking about with the, essentially your compassion side of things, of just, 
having a day of recognition for people. But I guess what I was saying is that. No, no, like uh, w what you're saying is is all I think very relevant to it. In that, um, so you say that uh, women uh, are just as competitive as men, which I think is true. But they're competitive in a different way. I think women are much more appreciative of the fact that the way you win is through team effort rather than individual effort. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, like I think I think in in that sense having more women around uh, would sort of improve the compassion um, aspect of that, um, which sort of like um, disagrees with my earlier statement of like, you know, the interaction between at least my personal interaction, which has been like uh, with women, hasn't really been that incredibly supportive either I think, I think yeah I think it's been like sort of uh, there's been a competitive thing as well okay but maybe that's my my personal experience yeah I, I, I know like a wider fact yeah I mean like I want to be I want to be careful of um, essentially making statements about someone without that type of person being here because I feel as if they yeah, know themselves better than mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. etc because they're of that they're that person they're that that type of people etc uh, which is why I'm always 50 uh, hesitant on these things general generalized yeah, now but like, yeah, um, I'm but, also making sorry like very broad generalizations yeah, exactly. based on like very minute, uh, limited experience so probably what I'm saying is is not true in general you're you're very right because because I, I just feel like that's it, it, the solution slaps me in the face like it just is the solution is you've got 40 out of 50 people in a company are men make it 25 25 and it's not a case of uh, meritocracy that people talk about I mean this is nothing to talk about they're not saying oh there should be 40 out of 50 people because those 40 out of 50 men are just better at the job I it there there it, it kind of to me comes back to the feedback loop of the 40 out of people who are better at the job because the definition of being better at the job has been defined by exactly. those who are in the position that is considered better interviews CVs what's what's checked for in, in terms of mm -hmm. job history or abilities it's like how could if, if I was essentially if I was a female or a minority I would be so angry, yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I, I totally understand their, um, their, 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 or as best as I can, I totally understand why they are kind of making a, a bit of an uproar. I think I think the issue runs even deeper. A bit like it's very often the case that we think that, like laws and rules that have been set by humans, are natural rules, uh, like laws and rules, right? how do we determine whether an engineer is good well we measure them by the yardstick that has been set by good engineers like people that we consider to be good engineers who are mostly male right so it's not only that people like people with who already have a lot of experience are considered better but it's also that you know our definition of what a good engineer is comes from mostly male engineers right mm -hmm. so 
an example would be like would you rather have somebody who's a superstar who can like bash out gold at 10 times the speed of anybody else or would you rather have somebody who's like an okay engineer but is very good at communication so they can really um you know work with others to sort of like you know uh push the group forward right and it was the case up, at least up to like a decade ago that the former was much preferred to the latter right the former would earn a much higher salary but like people are starting to wake up to the fact that it's actually the latter who is more beneficial to the organization uh, and to the objectives of the organization right because you need to like spread knowledge throughout your team as well you can't really have like single critical points of failure if that's a rockstar engineer decides to leave or something happens to them you know you're like that particular team is fucked um so you know those definitions that are this is sort of going into the wider thing of like individuality versus you know sort of so I, i'm not sure what to call it like social cohesion sort of thing um again like i think men are much more sort of both ignorant and purposefully ignorant of like social cohesion they're uh, they're they're willing to sacrifice that for their personal gain um and personal development whereas i think women are more aware of it and the importance of it yeah i mean here's like yeah i mean the thing is is like there's like and then the, the, there's the tough question which i'm sure social psychologists would be happy to sort of dive in but is like if that is the quote unquote natural fundamental way that you actually be or if it's bootstrapped by society right oh that's a yeah that's a very difficult question um, that's extremely we've... difficult but I, I feel like it's super interesting because if we accept that state if we accept that that's how it's going to be either something's got to budge or you kind of learn to incorporate that into the i yeah so my main thing was of the latter right like i'm not saying that women are naturally this and that and men are naturally this and that i'm, I'm more talking about like the fact that we found ourselves in that situation and we are not utilizing it as well as we could be is is a very big fault of ours right like i think we should aim to make a society that makes as many individuals as possible sort of feel fulfilled and happy with their lives and you know if if um your average woman feels like she wants to spend more time thinking about herself rather than you know the people around her then we should we should try to to support that effort um i think it's probably the opposite case of like men should spend more time thinking about us rather than you know women spending more time thinking about themselves um but my main point here was like in agreeing with you that you know we should incorporate that side of things like that thought process a lot more into sort of the fundamental understanding of what it is to be a good like 
software engineer or like researcher or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I I uh, I think I I think I get what you're saying. Um, one thing I think I missed though is before you were saying you were talking about either the kind of idolized twenty four hour day hacker with a sweater versus the mm-hmm. um, person that's more communicable and. You were saying that we're moving towards the more communicable. That's what you were saying. Or you were, which well, I mean, at, yeah, at least I've seen people start to talk about it, right? Like, it definitely okay. was the case 10 years ago that there was no doubt in anybody's mind that, like, the uh, hacker was, like, the superior engineer in all and, like, any and all uh, aspects. Yeah. But people are now starting to think about, you know, as I said, like, uh, before, fault tolerance, like, you want to have at least two people be able to do a certain like task in a team such that if one of them is incapable of doing so uh, at a critical moment the other one can right and uh, and uh, a social hacker doesn't really work well with that setup mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think yeah I th- yeah i think that makes sense I just guess I yeah I guess ten years ago maybe yeah ten years ago isn't so long ago because you just see the media like idolize these Zuckerberg etc. right um, mm-hmm. but I suppose yeah within within companies yeah you don't really see that <clears throat> as much um, yeah um, yeah I, I think it's um, going to be I either something that natural I don't want to say naturally, but I don't I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see how it develops in the next uh, next few years. Um, yep. And I think a lot of people might just have to I don't know. Like some people might have to, might suck, but some people might have to kind of make some room or something. Yeah, I mean, the ideal situation would be just you know have more room rather than having to kick out some people to accommodate some others because it's also unfair for like somebody who is able to perform uh, their job to have to make way for somebody else just because of uh, something seemingly you know like some quality that is seemingly irrelevant uh, to the job right like I'm not saying that it is but I can definitely put myself in the shoes of a person who feels like they've been unfairly ejected from a company a group or something like that and i can see how that person would become marginalized and sort of you know it could lead to extremism extremism because they feel like society has rejected them so they reject society mm. like i'm, I'm hyperbolizing a lot but like hopefully um, yeah i mean I, I i i feel when i see a little thing that says like you know the other day i was looking at like a a short story submission on a website and it said like we're not accepting applications from like white men only blah 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 you you feel bubbling to your surface a little bit like like hold on a second here like is this yeah what yeah Mm -hmm. what's happening here but yeah and and i think that's completely natural um this actually, I think, feeds back to what we were talking before quite nicely. Like, when you don't feel uh, uh, recognized and appreciated, you're always 
searching for more, right? Like you feel like you're gonna get recognized and appreciated if you achieve the next thing. Yeah. And when you're having your opportunities taken away, you know, that can that can make you very, very angry because you feel like you know, like that thing that you want that will make you happy is sort of like behind an artificial barrier that there's no way you can pass. And I think that's probably how a lot of people from underrepresented groups feel a lot of the time. So it's probably good that you know, you know we get some of that finally. Like we can finally see how much bullshit the glass ceiling is. Um, but also, you know, like the hope is that we would remove the glass ceilings rather than you know leave them from person A and impose them on, on person B. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You kind of almost want to make it instead of an instead of like instead of just like an enforced you know you you know instead of enforcing it on someone forcing someone to change you want to drive it from the inside with like a willingness of those in the position to want to help those not in the position right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. what you're talking about exactly what you were talking about was just um compassion and just a desire to just to just to help other people and if you can drive that like it's a this is getting a bit um uh what's the word i don't i don't know the word for it but you know instead of focusing on differences similarities uh, they always say that mm -hmm. but um you know i feel like that's the solution you drive it from the inside and these people actually want to help these other people instead of saying okay you know cut all wages of whatever um the 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 majority people by 20 percent, and then give these to the minorities you know enforcing that on someone's not Someone's not going to respond nicely to that, and mm -hmm. you need those majorities to just want just want to help. Um, I but that like that sounds so idyllic, right? Like it, I don't know, and like utopic. I don't know how, I don't know how that you get to that state. Um, I'm not sure what what it what would cause you to get to a state where the majority just want to help people even though they're in a privileged, more privileged position um it seems I, a bit I, insane i think it would pro it, you have to be an incentive right if you want to keep your position of privilege you have to be um you have to play nice with people who are under you right yeah but the the only the only incentive i see here the, there's like i mean that that i see is there's no monetary incentive. There, there can't be. Otherwise, it's it's flawed. It won't it won't work. Um, mm -hmm. It has to be a purely humanistic incentive. It has to be a personal compassionate incentive. I, I, I don't know. Like I don't see how you can in, tie in money as an incentive, or because money right now is what drives incentives. Like mm -hmm. maybe I mean mm -hmm. maybe that's changed a little bit. We see like other incentives like um, climate climate change, etc. But like, say money is the incentive. I don't see how you can tie money into that and then also bring about that kind of change because it seems to be kind of a paradox. Yeah, so I think I think with universities, this is uh, easier to do than with corporations because corporations are very often moderated from inside and the corporation's incentive is to win as much money as possible. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, like for universities, for example, I think they have uh, tried to address that thing with like, you know, requiring lecturers to not be only good um, researchers themselves, but like also being good supervisors. Well, yeah, I think the original intention was for them to be good supervisors, but this has been changed into like having a high citation count, which all things is at the expense of being a good supervisor, it's just like, you know, draining your, your uh, PhD students and postdocs for everything that they're working. There's like a couple sponges on the shelf and you just yep. every day give them a yep. squeeze. Mm -hmm. But you're very, very right. I really like this formulation of like, we need to incentivize more the sort of trying to benefit the people who are in a uh, less favorable position than you. Mm -hmm. And but yeah, exactly. Uh, but then I guess it's just down to, uh, yeah, just what what is the what's the incentive, right? That's that's the, yeah. that's that's the thing that. That's why it just feels a bit or, utopic. I don't know. It could be it could be down to awareness, right? Like, because I really feel good when I help somebody in a sort of like who, who knows less than me. You're currently teaching, so I'm sure you're of the same opinion. But like, it just it really feels good to sort of help people understand more about something that you like. So there's like there's actually a lot of sound research coming out of um, what is it? Columbia University, a group there, where they show that the long-term reward, if you want to call it a happy reward, joy reward, is mm -hmm. much longer when you're doing something in which you help someone rather than you do something mm -hmm. to help yourself. So like, say for example, you do a really difficult task, like, oh, I just got a promotion. Okay, and you want to reward yourself, you go out and you buy some stuff. Um, mm -hmm. If you go out and buy some stuff for yourself, like a car, you'll get some long-term reward. But they've shown that the long-term reward will be whatever more significant means in this case. It's more significant if you use that gain to help someone else. To feed, mm -hmm. to feed back into the community. Which in itself is like, should be mm -hmm. like, wow, that's a perfect formula to now essentially gain more, more happiness. Um, where if everyone's society was doing that, everyone's society is going to become more happy. Yeah. And so actually, mm -hmm. it's in a sense like it's actually built into the fact that we could be more happy if we were doing things to help other people, i.e. teach other people. Mm -hmm. You get a huge adrenaline rush from doing it. That person's now better off for it. Um, these and, and then it's better than if you decided to, hey, I'm going to take an online course to better myself. I mean, mm -hmm. not that that's bad to do, but actually just the, the reward you get out of it. Um, kind of interesting. That's a really, really interesting thing. And it sort of makes you wonder where we've gone wrong in that aspect, because mm. um, it seems like this is probably something ingrained in human psychology, right? Like helping others makes you feel better than helping yourself. So why is it that modern society is all about helping yourself? Right? Like where, where did we go wrong? Is this a consequence of capitalism that we need to, you know, really sort of, that, that we can only tackle by tackling ca capitalism, which seems like a incredibly, incredibly difficult yeah. thing to do? Um, 
I feel as if the is it that sorry sorry go ahead. Uh, sorry, uh, very quickly. Like, is it that just you know, there is a percentage of people who don't get that um, benefit, like uh, don't don't get that uh, reward for helping others, and it happens to be that like you know they're gonna be much more efficient and much more uh, successful by the measures of success that we currently have. Because they, you know, spend every minute helping themselves, and then that makes everybody else sort of uh, think that that's what they want, whereas actually that's not the case. Um, it's a very interesting problem to tackle. Sorry, you were saying something. No, well, just to kind of bounce on what you just said, Justin, actually, not what I was going to say, but like, so you're saying like kind of from a game theoretic. Do you mean from a game theory standpoint, but like there's some people, certain percentage of population where they actually get fewer reward for helping other people and a better reward for helping themselves, mm -hmm. and that actually is the more dominant strategy in this case, and then they're able to get themselves to more powerful positions? Yeah, so we know, for example, that psychopaths are, uh, sorry, a higher percentage of CEOs are psychopaths than is the average, you know for the population right which suggests that if you're a psychopath you have a easier does that suggest that well what you suggest is that psychopaths are more likely to become ceos right i may be fucking up my reasoning there but uh yeah so psychopaths have qualities that make it easier for them to become CEOs. Mm -hmm. I think that's reasonable to say, although I may be... I, may be Can I, I, I don't know much about psychopaths, but do you know if a psychopath can be made and unmade? Well, that's a very good question. I know that like early childhood trauma can be, you know, very conducive for like violent psychopathic behavior, but I'm not sure whether psychopathy is something that you're born with or whether it's something that can be locked and unlocked throughout your life. Yeah, because that's, that'd be an important thing to know. Uh, it'd be quite useful because, I, I don't know, I feel like, I, I know psychopathy, because like, be like, you know, ex, you, you could probably be, yeah, you, because you get diagnosed with being a psychopath, but I mean, there are like levels of which you, I feel like you can taste it sometimes where you can just, you know, especially the, the ability to disregard people as people are more like to see them as a means of us, of these people as means, like to kind of essentially mm -hmm. break down that natural social barrier. I feel like people can like essentially flirt with the boundary of that and go on and off that, which gives me a, just makes me feel as if there's like, ways in which you can maybe dampen or enhance psychopathy and mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want to like talk as if like yeah I know this but it's like it'd be really interesting to know if the psychopathy of a CEO is, is caused by it's like further exacerbated by the situation the CEO finds themselves mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. rather than the fact that the CEO was a psychopath such that they got themselves to that point i see what you mean so you're uh -huh, you're saying that the causal link is reversed to what i'm saying yeah. that could be the case but then i also think it could be a case that um 
you know, this sort of furthering of the psychopathic aspects of yourself, and I could be saying these things very wrongly, as you pointed out, neither of us knows uh, a lot about the subject, uh, but basically if your measurement of success is such that people are more like people who are more likely to be psychopaths are more successful and whether that be you know implied like the causal link is one way or the other uh, i don't think it matters yeah um does that not mean that everybody else who wants to be successful is more likely to develop these traits and it's going back to what i was saying before it's like the incentive structure currently sorry is such that if you want to be successful you're more likely to be successful if you adopt these psychopathic traits and i think that's part of the reason why people are like becoming depressed and lonely is that they aren't actually enjoying possessing these traits right like it's it doesn't come naturally to them to try to fuck over the person next to them in order to that in order to to, to climb the ladder mm. yeah yeah that's a good point actually but then are psychopaths psychopaths happy like in being it's, psychopathic that's it. yeah it's a very good question i i literally know nothing about it so i can't really yeah i know nothing about it either i guess what you could like i guess if you were because like i'm wondering about this is like okay so you 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 go to all the ceos you you measure them for psych with psychopathic traits and you realize that most are psychopathic versus not psychopathic Mm -hmm. but then don't you also have to measure the so then you also just measure the standard population and look at what percentage are psychopathic and not psychopathic and if well i don't know what the standard population is because i'm just kind of saying a see it was non-standard i guess what i mean is like if you measure if you measure positions of not power like people not in power and the percentages mm -hmm. are the same. Oh no, so I guess that wasn't the case, yeah. So people in less powerful less powerful positions, there's gonna be a lower percentage of psychopaths. So yeah, then, just because oh, yeah, the that's what they did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ah, I see, yeah. So then that that, 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 then that makes sense. Um, yeah, it sounds like we need, I need to do some reading on psychopaths. So I don't know. <laughs> I think it's, quite useful to sort of um, learn more about this just because of the fact that again i think i'm saying this for the third time so sorry for repeating myself like the current incentive structure seems to favor people with psychopathy um so i think that you know the incentive structure should be changed rather than you know people trying to become more psychopathic but it's quite interesting to understand why that is and uh, whether it's a fundamental sort of uh, trait of capitalism or whether it's you know something else like who knows maybe democracy is conducive to to you know more psychopathic people becoming in power because psychopaths are often very persuasive right they can utilize their lack of empathy to sort of manipulate others into doing things for them right and then maybe you know in a democratic situation a psychopath is more likely to be elected for example just because they can manipulate those around them better yeah yeah because that's right because originally because at the, at the yeah because originally we were talking about 
whether, yeah, how the incentive structure got into the state that it was in, such mm -hmm. that, you know, it's incentivized by capitalism, driven by democracy, well, driven a little bit by democracy. It's kind of a bit skeptical on that side. But, um, uh, yeah, and so then, yeah, does this, is this kind of a hotbed for um, psychopaths to ex exploit it? Um, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of um, spaghetti we've thrown to the wall. So I yeah. think we can call it here.